You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Eurosimos. All right, everybody, welcome to episode 82 of Here for the Truth podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your support. We really appreciate it. Today, we have Linda Catalina in the house with us. She is a Latina conservative political activist coming to us from Miami. And we dive into a broad array of topics of the reality of political advocacy and if there even is a political solution. Um, before we get to that, applications for our eight-week private group coaching program, Rise Above the Herd, are now open. We're taking 20 people only, and we start again on the 12th of September. If you head to riseaboveherd.co, you can discover everything you need to know, including testimonials from people who have been through our program. Um, and the res- you can see for yourself the results that are possible when we truly go all in with integrity over ignorance. We become intimate with who we are. We decide what we want, where we want to go, and we learn the tools to develop authentic self-esteem and then just walk the path um, to, live- to living life on our terms. Because the reality is we can't rely on the systems around us anymore to provide to us and mirror back truth or authenticity or to support us in the endeavor of what's really important. Um, other than that, hereforthetruth.com, all our episodes are there and please enjoy this episode. All right, today with us, we have Linda Catalina, who's an entrepreneur and conservative political activist. She's passionate about truth, justice, and freedom. Linda lives in Miami, Florida, and has spent years informing people about the dangers of pharmaceutical products and advocating for medical freedom. And on top of all that, she's the host of the podcast, Mostly Peaceful Latinas. Linda, thank you for being here for the truth. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here today or tonight. Yeah, definitely a pleasure to have you on. Um, I want to start off by asking, I I know recently, I think it was the New York Times labeled you as a far right Latina, uh, but I'd love for you to just kind of talk talk about that a little bit and and what has uh, occurred in your life. What has been some major rites of passage that have led you to to speak out and and do the things that you do? So I think that you know I'm one of the first I would say like Latinas to speak out against the left. Uh, I started about four years ago in 2018. Um, I was heavily influenced by Ana Paulina Luna. She was um, a conservative uh, political figure online, an influencer and activist uh, back then. Now she's running for Congress here in Florida, in St. Petersburg. And <clears throat> her whole vision was that um, the Democrats were going to lose the base and that Latinos were going to be the, the biggest mi- major- uh, minority and the U.S., which we are now. And so because we have traditional values and our culture is traditional, very religious, it would come the point where we needed more people like myself, like her and others, speaking out and um, trying to reach this Latino demographic so that we could tell them, hey, listen, like the left is not necessarily um, has our best interests at heart. And they've been lying to us for a while and manipulating the truth. Um, so that's um, that's what led me to start kind of like posting content online, mostly political and about pharmaceuticals. Uh, I did a lot of content on vaccines. This was obviously prior to 2020, Mm. before mass censorship. Uh, It was like a free for all on Instagram. That's where I grew my platform and Twitter as well, but I'm banned from Twitter. 
So it's just like Instagram and Facebook now. And of course, with our um, podcast on YouTube and Spotify. Um, but I, you know, my, my, I guess I'd say like my target demographic has kind of evolved. But at first, there was a lot of moms who had vaccine injured children. And nobody talks about that, right? Like the news doesn't talk about it. It's kind of swept under the rug. And I was giving a voice to those women, those moms that were kind of like suffering in silence and looking for support um, through like an online community. It was kind of hard through, to break through um, the matrix, even for conservatives who are very into big pharma. They've always trusted vaccines. They didn't really uh, talk about vaccinations or it's dangerous until covid so, you know, we were, we were some of the pioneers online of like medical misinformation before that was even a term. Um, and, you know, I think that it was very rewarding for me because I had so many parents, especially moms, like thank me and say, Hey, listen, like after your content, I research more and like, you know, we're not going to vaccinate our kids. You know, like it's a, it's a done deal. Um, and, you know, three years later, like even my friend's kid, they're like healthy, perfectly healthy kids. They're looking around the other kids of their friends who are vaccinated and they're like, holy shit, these kids have a thousand problems. They have allergies, they have eczema, they have diabetes, uh, some unfortunately have cancer. And their child who's completely on job is perfect, you know? So that was very, very rewarding. Obviously, through COVID, things changed. And I started posting more. Um, I became more of an activist before I wasn't. I was involved in certain organizations and movements. Uh, but it was really COVID what got me more involved here. Like locally, I sued my county for their legal uh, mask mandates. Uh, I was actually the only person to sue Miami-Dade County. Um, and we we didn't win. We The case was dismissed at first. We were going to appeal. But then Governor DeSantis came through and he signed that executive letter uh, prohibiting the counties and um, local governments from enforcing masks. At, at the business level. So we just, you know, withdrew the lawsuit and that was it. But um, I realized, I guess, through COVID, the importance of being involved politically at the local level, right? That's what really affected, at least for us, uh, our lives, right? That's the reason why LA had masks until very recently, why they want to bring them back. The reason why kids were still masked at school, because certain districts, certain school districts just did whatever they wanted. So we, we really created a movement down here in Miami, uh, in Dade County, and we were doing school board protests and stuff like that, which led to us getting attacked online by some anonymous account on Twitter, which we've actually been exposing for the past week. And it's, yeah, it's been a pretty interesting journey. Like things have changed uh, after mass censorship. I was banned four times from Instagram. Thank God I got my account back. That kind of like traumatized me. So um, this year, I just said, you know, we're starting a podcast. It's going to be the safest way to get the message out there and circumventing through these apps and these social media giants who are just going to censor anything that we say online. So that's where we're at now. Wow. Trying to do podcasts. No, oh. I, I, I love it. Um, so much to cover. It feels like a lifetime ago adding, advocating for medical freedom before COVID doesn't yeah. it? Like it feels like a totally different world. Like things have shifted so much and people often don't recognize or give credit where credit's due to those who've been carrying this flag for such a long period of time. Particularly yeah. talking about vaccines, like that was trying to move a mountain prior to 2020. 
a lot of people, you know, I found a tweet about myself last week, which I hadn't seen, like search my name. Yeah. There was, I guess, one of my followers and he's like, um, wake up with Linda, like the original anti-vax person, like, you know, something like that. And it was nice to see. And now you have somebody as big as Candace Owens with massive reach and following who has an entire series about dangers of childhood vaccines on mm-hmm. partner. So things have definitely changed. You now have politicians who are running um, on a medical freedom platform, you know? So there has been definitely like a matrix like change, a, a paradigm change in terms of medical freedom, which most people just neglected or just didn't think about it at all until COVID. Yeah, yeah definitely. Sorry, bro. I was, I was, yeah, you go. I was just going to say, it was one of the most taboo subjects ever. It was so airtight. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm very well aware of what my mentality was back then. And I never in a million years thought it would have been have openly discussed, let alone have candidates running um, with, with, with medical freedom um, in their story. So yeah, it's pretty incredible. And I think we often take for granted how far things have actually shifted. That's all. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's one of the, the silver linings of the whole COVID thing is that it's gotten people when they brought out and wanted to mandate the, the COVID uh, jab, people started looking into vaccines in general. Plus, more people mm. during you know quarantine, people were staying home. People had all this time. like They were going down rabbit holes. They were reading articles. They were researching. So you know the topic of COVID came up and people are starting to look at, oh, well, I don't want this vaccine. But then what are all these other jabs that people yeah. are, are taking? Yeah. So I think it's definitely a positive. For sure, for sure. I think that you know, now moving forward, people are just going to be a lot more skeptical of big pharma overall, you know, especially seeing one thing that I didn't agree with when it came to like the anti-vax, you know, talk online was that, was the mRNA technology. Because before COVID, I had an argument on vaccines where I used to tell my followers, listen, modern day medicine has evolved through time, right? Um, things that we did 50 years ago, we don't do anymore. Like I had to get my gallbladder removed and it was done through like a little robot. It took like 30 minutes, right? We didn't even need like an actual person like cutting through and doing this whole mess. It was like three little dots, pump air, robot goes in, takes out the gallbladder and takes it out. The vaccines um, were actually that one medical discovery or that, that one medical accomplishment that has not evolved in the last like 100 years, like the same way, the same, um, what do you call it? The same method of vaccinating people hasn't evolved. The mRNA is a new technology. It's kind of like a Tesla versus a conventional gas powered car. Not to say that it's the better choice, but I never found it to be, um, I wasn't very like, oh my God, the mRNA is so much worse than other vaccines because I had read so much about the dangers of like the MMR, you know, and like the the possible link with autism and stuff like that. So, you know, we don't really know the dangers of vaccine because not every single parent or not every single side effect of the polio vaccine or the measles or the chickenpox is actually recorded in these like databases. So we have no idea, you know, like no one's recording um, if their kid has asthma as like a side effect or eczema or allergies. So we have just normalized these side effects for the last like 50 plus years because it's genetic. 
right? And then a lot of times you look at the parents and the parents don't have asthma. Parents don't have diabetes. The parents don't have allergies or eczema or all these other problems that children have nowadays. Now, you you know, like occupational therapy is a big um, new world, like profession, you know, teaching kids like how to read because they're not developing on time and all these things. It's like, why is that? You know what I mean? Like, why? Like that wasn't the case like 50 years ago, 50 years, 60 years ago, hundred years ago, you knew if a kid genetically came differently than others, they were blind, they were deaf, they were missing a limb, stuff like that. They were, you know, uh, down syndrome. So now anything that happens to kids to them is genetic and they don't even have to prove it because people just believe it. Yeah. There's so many different specialists. Uh, that have cropped up in the last 15, 20 years, you know, that weren't yeah. around, um, you know, when I was a kid. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Um, so what is the importance of advocating at the local level? So the local level is like where most of the decisions for COVID were being made. So um, in terms of like closing down businesses until when they were closed, how many people they were allowing inside, the measures that they had to take, like these local, um, you know, commissioners and local mayors were making their lives hell, like saying like, you can open at 50%, but it can only be like, uh, you know, uh, this many tables and only four people per table. And till 10 PM, there's a curfew. So like all of these things that were affecting people's daily lives were happening at a local level. Right. Uh, if you had to wear a mask inside of the grocery store, if you had to wear a mask inside of in school, all of this came down to the local level. That's why there was counties in Florida, uh, like red counties, like where the rednecks were <laughs> are and stuff like that. They barely ever followed any COVID protocols at all. You know, very minimal. They weren't out there like chasing you if you don't have a mask. The bluer the district or the county, the more strict that it got. So mm-hmm. when Miami Beach had its beaches closed, we couldn't go inside of the beach, even though it's a massive, vast space where people don't have to be on top of each other. We had to go up two hours north to Port St. Lucie to be able to go to the beach because it was a red county and that county had open beaches, but ours didn't. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, so the local levels, like where a lot of your day-to-day life gets affected, you know? That's that's why I, I, I just same thing with like the school board, like the yeah. has a pretty tight grip on, on Florida, but our school board decides to do whatever they want. So the is saying, hey, we can't have books that talk about, mm, uh, you know, anal sex or transgenderism or, you know, abortion and stuff like that, like sensitive subjects. Our school board says, I don't care. I'm going to do whatever we want. We're going to adopt the books that we want. And if people aren't pushing back, if there's no pushback from people in the district, then they're just going to do whatever they want. Yeah. I think people have gotten so disillusioned um, with like the federal elections that then they just kind of drop out altogether. But I'm someone that thinks like if you're going to vote and be involved, it's it's so important to do it at the local level. So I totally hear what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's why. Hmm. Um, what is it in you that like makes you? I guess what, what's your drive to stand so staunchly for what you believe in? Like initially, what did that? Where did that come from for you? It's like you know, what I mean, actually 
decide I'm going to put myself out there and become an activist for what I actually believe in and what I consider to be the truth and justice and freedom. Where does that drive come from? Um, I don't really have the drive anymore. I'll be honest with you. It's just yeah. kind of exhausting altogether. Um, I do like recording the podcast because we have an audience now and, you know, I wouldn't really want to like shut down my social media and just disconnect from like my followers, like my day one followers. Um, I, you know, there's, there's some things that just like come naturally, like being a natural born leader or things kind of fall on your lap or you just have the urge to fight back. Like I said, I was just posting content like as a blog. It wasn't really like my source of income or anything. It was like if you started running a fashion blog on the side while you have a job. You know, it's the same thing for me on Instagram. I was running my blog, my diary online about what the research that I would do on my free time, whether it was about, you know, the vaccines or uh, Nikola Tesla, sometimes like conspiracies uh, or politics, like human trafficking. things like that. But, you know, when it came to COVID, I think that a lot of people became activists because they saw how wrong things were, uh, the closing, the mask, the social distancing, the like illegal, everything that they did was pretty illegal. It was done under like an emergency act or emergency response. And I think that uh, that's when a lot of people became more active in their local communities. Uh, I'll be honest, like I said, just like two minutes ago, like I'm pretty exhausted of many things in general. Like I don't watch the news. I don't have cable at home. I mostly inform inform myself through like social media um, accounts and stuff like that. Uh, Of course, for my podcast, whenever we do headlines and current events, we do research and read different headlines from different publications just to see if we can get like a complete story or just make sure that we have like the right points to talk about. But, you know, as far as, um, you know, with the activism, Mm -hmm. I I try to, I don't really do much here in general in Miami. Um, What I do try to do is help, you know, local politicians that I know that are running uh, with fundraisers and stuff like that. Or if there's a school board protest or meeting, I'll push it so that people are aware of it. Um, But, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty exhausting to be honest with you, like 2020 and even 2021 took a huge toll on, 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 I feel like a lot of people, not just me, but yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Yeah. I'm so curious to talk a little bit about the, the, the Latin community. Um, because, you know, I know you're, you know, an advocate of, of your faith and family and traditional values and, and it's really big in the Latino community. And yet they tend to vote more left. So maybe you can talk a little bit about why that is, but at the same time, I know that that's shifting. Yeah. Um, so what I can say is that the Democratic Party and the liberals own everything. And everything means the media. When you control the media, you control the narrative, you control the country. And the Democrats have a huge thing for minorities, whether it's Blacks, whether it's Latinos, whether it's Asians, uh, you know, the LGBT community, stuff like that. They've always uh, done a great job in terms of communicating to certain demographics. When it comes to the Latino community, you have two channels where people get their information in Spanish, only two. 
Univision and Telemundo. And both channels are pretty much like Democrat state owned channels, right? So that's the narrative most Latinos get, which was five years of disdain for Trump, making him look like a racist, xenophobe, evil man that hates brown people, that wants to deport everyone, um, that wants to build a wall to keep the brown people out. So it's very difficult to try to change the narrative of of those minorities, uh, you know, as, as far as the Latino population and other ones, when Democrats control everything. You see what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, like, in our home countries, people vote for democracy, right? Like, over here in the U.S., we're a constitutional republic, and people are also not that politically, like, knowledgeable. They're just not. Yeah. So they will, um, they think like Democrat equals democracy. Does that make sense? It sounds mm-hmm. crazy, but they're like, oh, well, I'm voting for democracy through Democrats. So that was, those are just some things like at the very base level that I can say. Um, I think that the Latino population is slightly shifting to the right based on economic policy, uh, what they're seeing right now with the Biden administration, which is Less money in their 401k, more money at the pump, more money in groceries. They're seeing a disaster at the border. They're seeing a disaster in Afghanistan. Uh, I mean, bad relationships with Russia and China. Like, it's just a shit show for, for one year, right? And so um, they're also seeing a huge push for LGBT, especially transgenderism. And you have a lot of Latinos who, although they may vote Democrat. They're also very anti that type of stuff, that those alternative lifestyles that they don't condone or find to align with their values and culture. Mm-hmm. Got you. Um, can we talk for a second about Hunter Biden? Because can you imagine if that was Trump's son? And I just don't understand how this isn't like the biggest story. Possible. This is literally the president's son that we're talking about. Yeah. You know, I, I've gotten very over um, the whole, like, what if, you know, what if that was uh, uh, Donald Trump Jr. Mm-hmm. Or, or whatever, because it just doesn't do anything. Like, uh, Republicans, whenever they have power, they just don't drop the hammer. They don't. They're very weak. They're very spineless. Whereas the Democrats, they get power and they target their political opponents. Obviously, it shouldn't be that way. Like, you shouldn't just be retaliating and targeting your political opponents because they, you know, because Trump was president for four years. So now you want to just target him because you hate him. But the reality is that we don't live in that world. We live in a very corrupt uh, world. And um, when it comes to the Hunter Biden situation, I'm not even appalled. Like, it's just like, it, there's nothing that you can tell me anymore that's going to shock me. Because look at the Epstein case. You know, they let the guy kill himself. We don't know that. We don't know if he, they killed him, he killed himself, if he ran away to freaking Russia. I mean, I have no idea. Um, and so with the Hunter Biden situation, it's like, why would anything happen when his dad is literally the president? Um, manages the FBI, who's in bed with him, who wanted Trump to get out, you know, same thing with the CIA. So it's just like, it just to me is like just another day in America where we actually see the difference in judicial systems from 
for the elite and the regular person, the average person. You know, what what do you think is the solution? Like, what do you think each individual needs to do to shift things? Honestly, um, I think that it's hard to say, but I do think that violence is kind of like inevitable at this point. I know that sounds like something that people don't want to hear. Like, oh, well, we, we, we don't have to get violent. It's not that I'm calling for violence. I want to make that very clear or that I advocate for that or that I think that sh- that's the best solution. I just think that that's where we're headed because I feel like we're headed towards a civil war because the country is very divided. You know, we're talking about people are fighting um, kids having drag queen story hours. Like, we can't even agree on basic moral things. Like, we're not trying to cancel drag queens. You still go to drag queen brunch and get do whatever you want as an adult. We're, we're arguing about children being allowed to be in these LGBT establishments or establishments that hold LGBT events and saying, no, that's not appropriate. A child shouldn't be there, just like a child shouldn't be at a club, right? Or at a strip club. Um we're now we're having to explain ourselves as to why that's not the right thing to do. That's not good. You know, we don't even have a lot in common as, as countrymen. So I think that we're headed towards a very dark and bad direction in terms of like the citizenship. Um, I don't see how anything changes without getting rid of everyone who's evil and bad within Washington, D.C. I just don't even see how that would they would even allow Trump to come back, considering the fact that they're doing this whole January 6th insurrection sham. Um, what is it that they're doing? The hearings and their entire point or their entire charade is to make sure that Trump never runs for office again. So I don't know. It's like. I tell people all the time, it's like, we live under an illegal occupation. A lot of people don't like to say that, but like, this is, America is under an illegal occupation. We are occupied. Yeah. I'm curious about Trump because uh, obviously people have their opinions on him, but you know, we're all advocates of medical freedom. We've been in this, in this world for a long time talking about vaccines. And yet Trump is someone who, uh, stands tall and proud talking about how he's he, this vaccine was all because of him and and he's been bragging about it for a while like what what are your thoughts on that yeah so you know i think that trump has a very big ego where i mean i, I don't think people like my answer to this because i've answered this before and just people just don't like it but it's just my opinion mm-hmm. um i think that when this whole covid thing happened a lot of people from from you know the Democratic side and even the Republicans were saying how Trump wasn't handling this well, how Trump was not going to be able to get a vaccine on time. And I think to him, um, the fact that he did develop these vaccines on time is an accomplishment, right? On paper, not necessarily that it's spiritually or morally right. I just think that in terms of like delivering something, right? Like it's kind of like a corporate job. You don't always have to like what you do, but you have to deliver it to your boss, right? So I think him showing off as the father of vaccines or whatever it is that he says that's his rallies, it's more of an ego thing. 
because his enemies and people in Washington, D.C. said that he would not be able to get this vaccine done. Um, I do think that the majority of the population, whether right or left, are huge believers and advocates of vaccinations, including Republicans. I think that the anti-vax community and um, the people who question vaccines overall, especially COVID, is a smaller population than we think. And all you have to do is look at the data of how many people have gotten the first, second, and third dose, which is a lot of people. So, um, you know, if Trump was saying something like, I'm going to force you to get the vaccine, we're going to do some federal mandate or stuff like that, I think that's much a, a much greater concern than him trying to brag about the vaccine. And I know that people say, well, there's people that suffered um, injuries from the vaccine, but also like, that's their problem. I'm sorry. Like, I, I feel bad, but like, I have family that willingly took the vaccine and they're having health issues, you know, and like, they wanted to get the vaccination. No one forced them to get it, you know? So I feel like it's also like the responsibility of each person to say, I'm not going to be the government's rat. I'm not going to be that experiment. I think it's more unfortunate when it happens to kids because the parents kind of like force the kids to get these vaccines at two months, four months, six months. The kids have absolutely no say. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if this is going to affect Trump's numbers. I don't think it will. Because like I said, I know a shit ton of Republicans who are vaccinated and happily vaccinated too. Um, and then there's obviously like a lot of like my online friends who are like, hell no, I'll never get the vaccine. So, yeah. Now that's a pretty objective answer. And I think, you know, that makes sense to me that that could just be his mindset. You said I couldn't do this. Well, I got it done. So I'm going to brag about it. You know, it doesn't matter whatever, what yeah. anyone else and At thinks. the end of the day, I tell people all the time, like the ones that get very upset <clears throat> over, you know, me saying this, well, he shouldn't, like it was a virus, a, a virus with 99% survival. We didn't really need a vaccination. I'm like, dude, have you taken a look at like the measles or the chickenpox or other viruses that we vaccinate for? Most of them, 90% of them, 95% of all the things we vaccinate for have a survival rate of like 99%. Mm. You know, even when you look at polio, which everyone is so scared about, when you look at polio, the death rate is like, 0.05 or something like that. It's like very, it's not even 1%. Same thing with like the paralysis that you could potentially get from polio. Um, so I think that people don't realize how many things are not dangerous at all that we have feared and gotten medicine for. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an intense level of programming that big father, mm -hmm. has, big farmer has managed to, you know, gain a grip on the majority of most people's minds, unfortunately. And they live in this constant state of, you know, fear yeah. of pretty much freaking everything. Um, you mentioned earlier that, you know, America is essentially illegally occupied. Um, by whom? That's the question, right? Who's controlling Joe Biden? Who's behind the curtain? I mean, it's not him. It's not them. 
the teleprompter. I don't know if it's like a combination of like the Soros people and the Clintons and, um, you know, like the elite itself. I don't know. I don't know really who's behind the curtain controlling America, but there was certainly a coup that happened and it wasn't Trump between the FBI, the CIA, um, Washington, D.C. overall to get Trump kicked out and get their guy in. Who's orchestrating the whole thing? I don't know if it's the Rothschilds and, you know, what they talk about is like the Illuminati or who it is. Yeah. Curious, isn't it? For sure. Soros, I'm sure, has some sort of like power or um, how do you say it? Influence, for sure. Mm -hmm. Do you think, um, like, obviously, in the quote-unquote truth community there's lots lots of speculation do you think it actually is joe biden at this point i mean just objectively he looks pretty different um from not to from 10 15 years ago or even less it's possible i don't honestly i don't watch joe biden that much either Mm -hmm. at all like i haven't even tried to analyze whether it's him or not i think in some stuff I could see like pictures and videos I can see how he looks different um but I also think that he looks frail like you could see the aging of Joe Biden since he was vice president till now mm-hmm. um I'm not sure about that one to be honest I haven't <laughs> haven't gone down the rabbit hole yet I hear you there what's your favorite gun <laughs> um honestly I don't really, I mean, I have two. I have my AR and a Glock. Um, surprisingly, I guess because the AR has the the optic, like the lens, obviously you can shoot like a lot more accurately, yeah. but it is like scarier, like bigger gun, you know? So I guess I'll just stick to like my Glock because like a Glock 43, or is it over there somewhere? Cool, cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really curious to see what's going to happen in the, the midterm elections and what's going to go down between now and then. Do you have any thoughts that she's just going to get really crazy? Yeah, I think that we have seen the attacks online intensify by the left, um, you know, including like trying to intimidate, intimidate people to not show up to school board stuff. Uh, trying to intimidate people to not donate to certain candidates because they'll dox you. Um, And I think it's going to get crazy. My whole thing is, like with my friends, is that, okay, suppose that there is a red wave and Republicans are able to gain control of the House again. Republicans never get shit done. So do I have a lot of hope for the Republican party, I don't. Because whenever they did have the power in 2017, they couldn't even get the house to pass the wall, to fund the wall. Like a lot of people don't remember that Trump had to go through like the courts and get money for the military and use his executive power to get funding for the wall. So yeah. So like, I mean, this is this is my mindset, is that there's actually no political solution. Like, no, that's what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, there's I no agree. political solution. 
there's not. Individuals just need to decide where they stand, what they value, what their morals are, and just go on and live their lives, right? Yeah. There is, you know, pressuring local... Pressuring local politicians and stuff like that does kind of work, does work. I wouldn't say kind of, does work. We've seen it here at a local level. Um, I think being, you know, being involved in the school board is important. Uh, Your commission meeting as well. But as far as like Washington, D.C. and just thinking like, oh, my party is going to be in charge now. Like, no. Yeah. There's not a lot of political, there's not a lot of... um, room for improvement between the two parties anymore i think so yeah yeah i mean i'm pretty apolitical to be honest you know on the federal level you know i like observing to see what's going on but uh, i'm an individualist at heart and uh i like to focus on how i can be the best human being i can be and and build community and and see what happens from there you know but uh, but i agree with you from if i expect um change and transformation to come from washington dc i'm gonna wait a long fucking time yeah Exactly. It's better to not. Yeah. And I mean, people go through this journey and like, you're right, it is extremely exhausting. You know, they bump their heads against the wall for for it's years so on high. end. Yeah. So like, to, to basically no means. Um, and essentially, they just deplete themselves. You know, they've decided there's this big vision and they're going to catalyze all this change in the world and they're the ones that are, that are going to do it. Um, and they just end up completely burned out. So... You know, I think the best that we can do is kind of what we're doing now. You know, we're creating these information resources. We're starting these podcasts. We're giving people places to go um, to get another perspective, to get another viewpoint. And at the same time, be creative ourselves, you know, and try to build ourselves up in a certain way as opposed to constantly draining ourselves, trying to advocate for change from a collective level, which has never really proven possible in the history of mankind, if I'm honest. For sure. No, that's true. You know, I agree with that. So what's the, what's the basis of mostly peaceful Latinas and what was really, I guess, the inspiration to to kick that off? Um, Honestly, the censorship, we just, we've been dating for censorship for the past two years since 2020. And when Instagram and Facebook were getting attacked and by the mainstream media to shut down certain pages of medical misinformation, of QAnon, of Trump supporters, of that. Yeah. Um, we've been hit pretty heavily with censorship. I know my co-host has lost like seven accounts on Instagram. In fact, she just lost your new account last week. Um, and I think they have an internal list with her name because she's come out in the media before. So that's why I tell her you have to like rebrand completely. Um, but that was kind of like the idea was that we needed to still communicate with our followers and we would have to do it through another platform and able to sustain our, you know, our platform on Instagram and Facebook. And so that's kind of like why we decided to go with the podcast. Uh, we haven't filmed the last two weeks. So it's been kind of tough. Our, our um, studio and videographer and editor, they, you know, he's sick with COVID and like he actually got symptoms and he had to stay home and whatever. It's tomorrow is actually going to be the first day we record in two weeks or three weeks. And we go through current events. We go through headlines. Sometimes we have guests if they're in town and stuff like that. Um, it's mostly like current events. And obviously we give like our opinion or thoughts. 
when like the Roe v. Wade was going on. We had a whole episode about that. We've had episodes about like gun control and explaining the different laws that we passed since like the 1960s and stuff like that. We've had like congressional candidates come by the podcast and talk to us about their platform and how we can like, you know, help them out and what they're going to offer differently than like whoever they're running against. So it's just like, you know, politics, culture, current events. Um, You know, the name came from, that was my bio. I used to have on my Instagram bio, uh, mostly peaceful, that's fiery, my mostly peaceful Latina. That comes from the 2020 riots when CNN had a headline, this guy, it's like a fire in the back. And the guy's like, yeah, it's fiery, but it's mostly peaceful. And like, it's like chaos (laughs) in the back, you know? So that's where the name came from. Obviously, we're trying to appeal to a Latino population, um, you know, particularly Latinas. So, and we've been doing pretty well with that. So yeah, it, that's, it's so it's so obvious to anyone that I think that uh, is still using their eyes and can still hear things and can still critically think. I mean, you see what happened in the summer of 2020 with all these riots and the idea that they'd be called mostly peaceful, and then people are just led into con- uh, the Capitol building in January 6th, and that's just like the worst thing to happen in the history yeah. of America. Like it's a fucking joke. Dude, like, you know, I was talking about it yesterday, actually, with one of my friends from the beach. I said, you know, if obviously January 6th was not an insurrection, obviously, like Trump supporters and conservatives have the most guns in the world, probably. I think we have like a small army, right? Like if people really wanted to fuck shit up and take over, they could have done it. You know what I mean? Like they went in there with like selfie sticks and flags, like things did get out of control. And I think that like, if you assaulted an officer, if you committed acts of vandalism um, and things like that, then you're going to have to face the law because the law is the law. Um, But there's people that are being charged for like parading around the U.S. Capitol. You know, there's people that are losing, there's been people that have committed suicide inside of these gulags in Washington, D.C. because they were set up to go. You know, and they they did the they just they didn't think it was going to get out of control. They didn't think that all of a sudden this is going to be an insurrection and the FBI was going to have po- yeah. of freaking billboards around U.S. cities like looking for people. So it's pretty sad. I think it's very devastating that um, you know they're chasing down Trump supporters and they're really doing it to teach him a lesson to never stand up against the establishment ever again. So I think that's the bigger lesson here. What do you say to the people that say that Trump is part of the establishment? Um, I think, I think he is. And I think he wasn't and isn't. Um, I think it's, it's one of those things where, Clearly, like once you enter the White House, you are part of the establishment, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's undeniable. Um, I don't think that Trump came from the DC establishment, though, and I think that's very evident, right? I think that he came as an entrepreneur, as a self, uh, you know, as a businessman, um, and people laughed at him. The Republicans didn't want him. There's a different, there's like a different establishment that we're talking about, right? And I think that 
had Trump been the right guy that they wanted for the job, we wouldn't have seen the chaos and the lies and stuff in the media. They just would have let him be. They would have probably criticized him and said bad things about him, but not to the extent that they went. I think that it's been very obvious, even with this January 6th sham that they've been doing the last like six weeks, I think. Uh, I haven't watched any of it, but I know it's going on. Mm -hmm. That they're trying to not let him ever run again because he was a threat, right? Um, Whether it was because of his erratic behavior, uh, they didn't know what he was going to do. He was changing things all around. He was uh, removing people from certain positions. I think where you know, Trump looks more like, oh, well, he's part of the establishment as well. Certain decisions that he made of people around him, of people in positions of power that shouldn't have been there, that he made a mistake about. Um, I do have to say that, you know, one thing that he told me at at a lunch personally and the people that were there is that You know, I made certain decisions to have people like Bill Barr as attorney general because I don't just run everything. It's kind of like when you have, when you're the CEO of your business, like you're not in the accounting department, right? Like you're not in the operations department, like you're not in the marketing department. So you have these departments and people in charge to to do things for you. Ultimately, you give that okay as CEO but you have also a board of advisors. So when Trump comes into Washington, D.C., and he's going to look for a new attorney general, look for a new secretary of defense and secretary of state, his people come with a list and say, these are the qualified people, or these are the people that we think would be good for this based on your experience, based on X, Y, and Z. And so when it when it came like the example that he gave us was like with Bill Barr is that that was kind of like they gave him a list and he was like top of the list because of what I just said his experience blah 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 the work has done um I think Trump wanted Pam Bondi to be the attorney general and asked her to be the attorney general he didn't want Bill Barr unfortunately Pam Bondi said that she wanted to focus on the private uh sector and she didn't want to be in government anymore. She wanted to work in her own private firm or whatever. So she declined the request of the president to be attorney general. When that happened, the next person in line was Bill Barr, who ended up accepting the nomination. And then the rest is history. Um, so I think that Trump's mistakes came from a lack of experience within the government itself as an outsider. And then his um advisors who who weren't we don't know if with intention or intentionally or unintentionally were giving him the wrong advice not just about people but about certain decisions yeah i mean you can't expect someone just to jump into a presidential role and all of a sudden be able to wield unlimited power and make every decision in every department and know everything about everything like people yeah. project this onto the onto you know Trump, particularly in the president, as if you know some superhuman that has this capacity just because I'm in this spot doesn't mean there's no devil under the rug. Doesn't mean I'm not dealing with like you know generations yeah. of entrenched bullshit. Um, yeah. But you know, if more than anything, what that speaks to is um, 
how how monumentous the the challenge actually is and how how deeply entrenched um you know this inversion actually is to to speak to the fact that you know someone can't even become president for four years and really you know enact real profound change in terms of something that's gonna something that's gonna last you know it's, to me that speaks more volumes than anything else yeah yeah i agree um you know i think that he was in a very tough position not having the media on his side not having even the fbi wasn't on his side like in his own agencies um and ultimately washington dc is a swamp you know you had He's still making some decisions that are extremely questionable. Uh, Lindsey Grant, for example, is someone that like we just can't get rid of for some reason. But that also comes with political power. You know, he has political power. He has the votes of his state or wh- wh- wherever he, whatever he is. Um, he has the power of mega donors. And that's something that I've learned when I started becoming more. Um, involved in local and state politics is like it really matters when it comes like what really matters is who has political power who's able to pull pull the most money for the party so as an example um this is like a small example here in miami we have the school board um races like coming up soon right there's three seats that are up for re-election and two out of the three seats um, may be flipped by DeSantis-backed um, candidates. Sorry, mm-hmm. missed the word. DeSantis-backed candidates. And there's another one for District 6 that DeSantis hasn't endorsed anyone. And he won't say why. He won't endorse Sandra, who's like a teacher, a long-term teacher, and she's not part of any establishment. He won't endorse her, but he also won't endorse Maritere, which is the one that's already mm-hmm. holds the seat, and she's a Republican. Uh, and so it's kind of like one of those things where just where we feel. I mean, this is not something that we heard. It's just like us conspiring and assuming where, well, he's not going to back a candidate like Sandra that has no political power, that nobody knows, that hasn't been able to fundraise not even $100,000. Um, and he's not going to piss off the people and back the person sitting in that seat already that everyone hates. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So he just doesn't back anyone. But that's also not good because we would prefer to have Sandra, um, <clears throat> the non-establishment candidate, win in district six but a lot of it's like political bullshit that the business they to business. a certain degree you know yeah yeah we forget that people forget that absolutely i mean there's so much money in politics so much at all the different levels when you think about it you know when you think about even just the incestuous relationship between politicians and the corporate world and all the lobbying i mean there's so much money there's so much that goes on behind the scenes that I think people think they know, but yeah. the degree that which it happens, I think is on a whole nother level. Yeah. So. Very, very true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We know you've got limited time. So yeah. what, what's, what's your message to whoever's listening? You know, like. Um, 
you know, I think that, I think things are going to get worse before they get better. And I don't mean that in a personal state. I mean that as a whole. Um, if you look at wait, the Weimar Republic, do you guys know about the Weimar Republic? So this is very important for people to understand because it's usually not taught in school at all because it's such a controversial and sensitive subject. It's what led to the rise of the Nazis. And so they don't want you to talk about it because it's like, well, are you are you giving an excuse to the Nazis? You know what I mean? So if people look into what was going on in the Weimar Republic, which was like Germany in the 19, late 1920s, 1930s, I believe, um, it's basically what's going on in America. Insane amount of degeneracy, the transgender stuff, transgender surgeries. Um, there was like even legal, like t- teen prostitution. There was a lot of drugs. Veterans were on the street after World War One. Um, it was just a complete shit show. It was a very, it was a liberal project. It was a liberal state, liberal country, very extremely open minded. And um, morality was down in the country. There was high inflation as well. So we're talking about economically, Germany or Weimar Republic back then was completely screwed. And then also morally screwed, culturally screwed. Like everything that is, it was hyperinflation was like one of the biggest things that happened during the Weimar Republic, which is we're pretty much headed that way. And so everything is a cycle, right? Like when this happened, that gave rise to Hitler and the Nazis. We don't like to talk about it. We're not going to get into it. Um, but I think that if people understand what's happened before, they wouldn't be so like freaked out. Like, oh my God, this has never happened before. Like these trans surgeries and this and this degeneracy. Like, no, 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 it's happened before. It's definitely happened before. And that's a problem because eventually one side pushes so hard, so hard that there's no middle ground anymore. And then you're going to have a reactionary side push back and the pushback is never looks pretty. Mm-hmm. It's never uh, moderate. It's never uh, nonviolent. So I think that it's going to have to get a lot worse before there's a massive pushback. And it gets better. Um, I think that, you know, you have to work on yourself, your finances, community. Um, if you're in the city, it's like, I'm in the city. And I, oftentimes I think, what if something happens? Where am I going to go? Do I have my guns? Do I have ammunition? Do I have my food sources? Stuff like that. Um, there's a lot of money to be made on the internet, whether it's through e-commerce, whether it's through content marketing, whether it's through influencing. I mean, I don't know. There's like so many avenues. And I think that people should take advantage of that, especially in our time, um, to be able to make money on the internet, which is not hard at all, you know, um, and just, you know, take care of each other. I still talk to liberals. I mean, I don't really talk politics with them and I don't care to. I treat them as people. If they treat me like shit, then I'll, you know, respond respectfully. Um, But I try to treat everyone the same regardless. So that's that. Thanks heaps, Linda. Truly, I really, I really appreciate your message and I appreciate, you know, that you're, you're real with yourself and, you know, 
real in the way that you express it. So thank you so much for your time. Um, how can people, I guess, find you and discover your podcast and stuff like that? Yeah. So my main page is at wake up with Linda on Instagram. Um, our podcast, mostly peaceful Latinas. You can find us on Spotify, Apple, uh, actually anywhere where you get your podcasts and also on YouTube, if you actually want to watch the show, um, we're going to drop it on, we're going to record tomorrow. We'll drop the new one on Thursday. We're also on TikTok, same thing, mostly peaceful Latinas. Uh, on Instagram, same thing, mostly peaceful Latinas. On Twitter as well, which have to be more active. Um, but that's pretty much it. Awesome. Cool. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time. Take care. Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in a the time, they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms, cause they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean. Fast forward in evolution to a place where we can share our confusions. Yeah, 450 BC, I'm sharing tea with